You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to our listeners. How are you doing? Oh, I'm well. How are you keeping? Keeping well as well. Yes, it's it's been a bit of a hectic week already, but uh, we'll just continue to power through. Right? Yep, that's the way to do it. Yeah, the list always seems to, to get bigger, right? You think you're ticking things off and something comes down at the bottom, but I guess that's that's life. Yes. You'd be bored if there wasn't stuff on our list, I suppose. That's so true. <laughs> Please do follow us on our social sites. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And uh, we are at the Health Hub RMC on all three sites. And please do feel free to email us at thh at radiomaria.ca if you would like to chat with us about something. Uh, And do subscribe to our podcast. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite podcast platforms. And you can also find our podcast on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybsa.com. Currently, right now, Alex, we are in the midst of summer and in the midst of a really hot, hot streak. And um, I've taken on through this uh, a real penchant for making homemade popsicles. So I've, I've ordered my, my molds or I ordered my molds and I've been experimenting and it's so easy to do. So I wanted to share this with everybody because, I, you know, I think we're all trying to eat better. We're trying to reduce our sugar intake. And sometimes that frame of mind makes us think that we can't partake in some of some of the simple pleasures and uh, mm-hmm. you know popsicles are one of them I mean how nice is it to have a popsicle on a hot day but when you understand how easy it is to make your own and that uh, in many uh, spaces when you're making your own popsicles you can have them for breakfast uh, they're full of fiber and protein it uh, it not only becomes a treat it becomes a dietary necessity how's that so I, I thought I'd give you it's a whole new spin on a whole, being on a, a diet. dietary yeah exactly <laughs> it's all about perspective it's exactly. all about perspective I, and you don't want to miss out I mean you when you were a kid you know you get ice cream cones everything why do you need to miss out you don't and I'm going to show you how how easy it is Alex you're going to order your popsicle molds I have steel ones I like them best I, I'd sort of stay away from the plastic as you know yeah. but uh, I find the steel ones are great and here was my first uh, foray into it so what I did was I ground up I pureed strawberries and I put a teaspoon of honey in as I was pureeing and I ground up um, a mango so about a cup 
sometimes you might have, it depends on the size of your molds actually. But um, I, I did about a cup of each. So like one pint of strawberries and probably just uh, maybe two mangoes. And uh, so I kept them separate. So once I pureed the strawberries with the, the honey, they were in one cup and then the mangoes with the honey, they had a teaspoon in as well. And they were in another cup. And then I bought some vanilla flavored unsweetened Greek yogurt. Okay. And it's and, and that's it. I mean, those are the the ingredients. I did add some granola to the top, but you certainly don't have to do it. And so here's all that you do. Um, so you put your popsicle molds into the, the stand and you layer. So I started with strawberry and then you add a layer of yogurt and then the mango and you just keep on repeating until your molds are filled. And then um, take the set and sort of tap it on the counter to make sure all of the air bubbles are, are out of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they settle. And that little bit of settle, I put some homemade granola on top of. Um, so like, okay, so you've got protein, you've got fiber, you've got fiber. And, and, the, got- <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the colors, though, the colors the are colors, what makes it, makes it more... Uh, appetizing right oh it was so pretty yeah yeah it was just so i opened it up and actually i I thought you know i had we i had the first one on canada day and i thought i should have just done like red white red white but no whatever but uh my next not careful it could come out like a candy cane (laughs) true but anyway red red and white would would be most appropriate of course on canada day and you can be as creative as you want so i mean you've got the basics right there right so Take uh, any blueberries, peaches, you know, yes. be creative and do something like that. My next um, adventure is going to make, make chocolate popsicles. So chocolate peanut butter popsicles. So I'll let you know how those go. But like, how easy is that? Yeah. And I've had two for breakfast already. Um, because like I said, you've got the fiber, you've got the, the protein. Yeah. With and it the, makes the you feel yogurt. like a kid at heart too, right? Having it a does. popsicle for breakfast. And it makes me feel so creative. I mean, it's just yeah. so easy to be creative. I pulled that thing out. I was like, look at the colors. I was so proud of myself. Yeah, it puts but, a smile uh, on your face for sure. It does. I was very happy. I will be posting that uh, recipe on my Instagram account in case anyone wants to know, but thought I'd pass that along, but be creative. Um, you know, you can just take uh, what your normal smoothie is and, and throw it in a popsicle mold and freeze it up. So really easy to do. So go to town, get your molds. Very, very, um, very fun. And of course, kids can get involved if you have kids at home. So off you go. So on to today's show, we have revisiting with us Dr. Tom O'Brien. Dr. Tom O'Brien is an internationally recognized, admired, and compassionate speaker focusing on food sensitivities, environmental toxins, and the development of autoimmune diseases. In November 2016, Dr. O'Brien released Betrayal, the Autoimmune Disease Solution They're Not Telling You, an investigation into why our immune system, which is designed to protect us, begins attacking our own tissue. Currently, over 500,000 people worldwide have watched the docuseries Betrayal Documentary, and you can find this on www.betrayaldocumentary.com. Dr. O'Brien is considered a Sherlock Holmes for chronic disease and teaches that recognizing and addressing the underlying mechanisms that activate an immune response is the map to the highway towards better health. 
He holds teaching faculty positions with the Institute for Functional Medicine and the National University of Health Sciences. He has trained and certified tens of thousands of practitioners around the world in advanced understanding of the impact of wheat sensitivity and the development of individual autoimmune diseases. He is the founder of www.thedoctor.com and the visionary behind the Gluten Summit, a grain of truth, bringing together 29 of the world's experts on the gluten connection to diseases, disorders, and a wide range of symptoms and ages. His 2016 groundbreaking book, winner of the National Book Award and ranked number one in several categories on Amazon.com, The Autoimmune Fix, outlines the step-by-step -step development of degenerative diseases and gives the tools to identify our dis-ease process years before the symptoms are obvious and how to turn your health around one step at a time. Dr. Tom O'Brien, thank you for joining us. Again, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be with you. We've been doing a lot of talk on the Health Hub about brain health and healthy brain. And, and I think around you know, what's going on in the world, it's a very prevalent topic. Um, but we're going to take a bit of a turn in our conversation today and talk to something that uh, talked about something um, that I've really wanted to address on the show, and that's autism. Um, so many children are affected, it seems, uh, more and more each year. I don't know if you have statistics on this number, but what, what's going on, in your opinion? Well, um, uh, that's a million-dollar question. Yeah. And uh, if I give you an example, a case study that does not directly relate to autism, but directly relates to the brain. Mm -hmm. It will help to understand one of the prevalent mechanisms behind where is autism coming from. So they did a study of 346 pregnant women in Chicago. And in the eighth month of pregnancy, they collected their urine. And they measured the urine for five different phthalates. Now, phthalates are chemicals used to mold plastic. They're also called plasticizers. And the one that most of us have heard about is BPA, bisphenol A. It's a phthalate. And there are many others. But if you have water bottles, in, they're plastic water bottles, and they sit out in the sun, sometimes when you drink the water, you can almost taste a little plastic. Those are phthalates that you're tasting. So they measured five phthalates in the urine of these women who were in their eighth month of pregnancy. And they grouped them into fourths, the lowest fourth, the next, the third, and the highest fourth. They then followed the offspring of those pregnancies. And when those children turned seven years old, they did Wexler IQ test on them, the official IQ test. And there's not much in medicine, Kathy, that's all or every, but this was every. Every child whose mother was in the highest quartile of phthalates and urine in pregnancy compared to the children whose mothers were in the lowest quartile of phthalates and urine in pregnancy, every child in the highest quartile, their IQs were seven points lower. It went from 7.6 to, I'm sorry, 6.7 to 7.6 points lower. So the average is seven. Seven points lower, every one of them. 
And that doesn't mean anything to anybody that's listening to this until you realize a one-point difference in IQ is noticeable. A seven-point difference is a difference between a kid working really hard, getting straight A's in school, and a kid working really hard, getting straight C's. That kid doesn't have a chance to do well in school because their brain never developed properly. Then just go to Google and type in phthalates, P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, phthalates and neurogenesis, meaning nerve growth. Here come all the studies, how phthalates inhibit nerve growth. So if mom has accumulated a lot of these toxic chemicals in 28, 30 years of life, now she's pregnant and she's got a high level of these phthalates, her baby doesn't have a chance of being an A student. But just read the science. They don't have a chance to do well in school because their brains never develop properly. And we're asking the question, why are our children's brains not developing properly? How come so many kids have autism? When I came out in practice, it was one in 10,000 children were on the autism spectrum. Now it's one in 36. And it's like, what? And so a primary trigger, there are many triggers, there's no one answer, but a primary trigger in baby's brain not developing properly is the amount of toxic chemicals that mom has accumulated in her body over 25, 30 years. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. When you store food in a plastic storage container in the refrigerator, leftovers, the next day that leftover chicken has phthalates in it because the, the plastic container outgasses, loses some of the chemicals to the food that's touching the sides of the plastic container. Now, there is no evidence anywhere in the world that the amount of phthalates that leach out of a plastic storage container is toxic to humans. There's no evidence of that. That's how the chemical companies got away with all of this, is that they were successful in lobbying the legislature to pass the legislation that says, you can't have toxic levels of chemicals and stuff that's going to harm humans. So all they have to do is show that the levels that leach out are not toxic to humans, and they're not. But this stuff accumulates in your body over years and decades, this stuff accumulates. Now you got a toxic level. And now that level in your fat tissue is leaching out into your bloodstream. And if you're pregnant, those toxic chemicals get into the bloodstream, they get into baby, and it affects baby's growth and development. That is so, just one of many, many mechanisms. Now, we're, we're talking about the phthalates, but is the, as you say, it's one of many mechanisms. And is, is this causing the brain to develop in a particular way so such that the child is more susceptible? Now, we talk about leaky brain. Is that what these things are? Uh, is, is that the, the end result? Is a brain that is not um, structured as well as it should be? But that is a, a, a most common end result. The brain did not structure the way it was supposed to. Most common. And so then the question is, why is the brain not developing the way it's supposed to? 
how come these kids, every single one of them, if their mom was in the highest level of phthalates, that's just one example, mercury's another, lead's another, there are many. But how come those kids, their brains didn't develop the way they're supposed to? Then you just, and it's really geeky stuff, so the general public doesn't read this, but you read the science that shows that phthalates inhibit neurogeneration, nerve growth in the brain and in the nerves of the body. Phthalates inhibit that. And then you go to benzene as an example. Every time you fill up your gas tank, if you do a self-serve to put petrol in your gas tank, people often can smell the gas, smell the fuel. You're smelling benzene. Benzene goes right up to your brain and kills brain cells. When you're smelling it, it's killing brain cells, but you can't feel it, you can't taste it, you can't tell, but it's another chemical. Here's something that will help people like hold this concept. In the journal Pediatrics, arguably the most important journal in the English language for children's health, they published a policy statement. Now, if you get an article published in the journal Pediatrics, you've scored. It's a top-tier journal. And as an author, you can feel really proud of that. But a policy statement is from the board of the American Academy of Pediatrics. This is not a single author. This is the board getting a message out to every pediatrician in the world. And they said that the Toxic Substance Control Act failed miserably to protect children's health, their language. And the bottom line is now, according to the article, 27 trillion pounds, trillion pounds of chemicals are manufactured or imported into the United States every year. And Canada is not much different. I don't know the numbers in Canada or in Europe's not much different. That 27 trillion pounds. Now, I took that number, 27 trillion pounds, and I divided it by the population of the United States, and then I divided it by 356 days in the year. It comes out to 247 pounds of chemicals per person per day are manufactured or imported into the United States. That's five 50-pound bags for every person in the United States every day of the week. It's the, it's the trichloroethylene in the varnish on the floor of your living room. It's the uh, uh, fabric stain-resistant Scotchgard on your sofa, that these things outgas chemicals into the air, and we're breathing all of this every day. So the amount of toxic chemical, well, chemicals, the amount of chemicals, many of them are toxic, that are absorbed into our bodies, in our food, in our air, in our environment, is overwhelming to the human body. And the human body can't deal with it very well. And a very common um, organ in the body that gets the brunt of all of this inflammation is the brain. So children are... We all have this toxic load. I mean, I, I think by now, yes. everybody, we understand that we have this toxic load. Obviously, some can are equipped with it, uh, equipped better to detoxify. Now, with children, 
Is it an inability to detoxify, do you think? Or is it the inflammation? Is it a breach in the blood-brain barrier? Or is it a, a combination of all all three or even more, because, you know, I have read studies about the chemicals that they find in the umbilical cord, and that's prevalent among all moms. Exactly. Every child in America, I can speak to America, the average is 280 chemicals in the bloodstream at birth that are not supposed to be there. Right. 280. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean it's okay. It means that everybody's getting poisoned. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. And you're yeah. absolutely right. It is the most common trigger to incomplete development of the brain is the environment that that baby develops in, mom's uterus, and the environment that baby comes out into. Most common triggers. And babies don't have a powerful detox system. Babies in utero depend on mother's detox capabilities to make sure the blood coming into baby is clean and pure and full of the nutrients that baby needs. But mother's body is overwhelmed because of 25, 30 years of minute exposures to these things every single day. Your mother or your grandmother did not have these exposures. That's why autism was 1 in 10,000 in 1980. But now it's 1 in 36. And it's, it's what? What? Who's going to pay for these kids as they grow up and they can't function? They can't work. What's going to happen? And no one knows the answer, and we avoid that topic because there is no answer. Nobody knows what's going to happen with this. You know, we once thought that that blood-brain barrier was impermeable. Right. Um, and that's now not the case. We know that that's, that's not necessarily true. Are you finding or have you found that there is, in fact, research studied higher levels of toxicity within a child's brain who has autism versus a child who is not on the autism spectrum. Yes, and the technology is so much better now than it was even 10 years ago. You know, science has improved dramatically. And we now know that the structures that uh, make up the, the blood-brain barrier. The blood-brain barrier is just like the barrier in the gut. If, so let's talk about the gut for a minute, j- just to understand this concept. If you took a donut and you could stretch out one big, long donut, and you look down the center of that donut, that's your digestive system. From your mouth to the other end, one big, long tube kind of winds around in the center of there. The tube is lined on the inside with cheesecloth. And as you swallow food, our enzymes break that food down into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller pieces until the pieces are so small, like scissors that are breaking it down smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, until the pieces are so small, they go right through the cheesecloth. They go right through that epithelial lining into the bloodstream, and that's how we get our vitamins and our minerals and our fats and our proteins is through the cheesecloth. The absorption goes And that screen, that cheesecloth, only lets really tiny molecules get through. We now know that there is the same kind of epithelial lining in the lungs and the same kind of epithelial lining in the brain. And the one in the brain is the tightest, the smallest, the most dense cheesecloth that only the tiniest molecules can go from the blood to get through the blood-brain barrier into the brain. It's the tiniest cheesecloth. 
But when you get tears in the cheesecloth, now bigger molecules can get through the cheesecloth into the bloodstream, if we're talking about the gut. Tears in the cheesecloth is what's called leaky gut, or the tech technical term is intestinal permeability. Well, tears in the cheesecloth of the brain is called leaky brain. And there are now many, many studies on how this occurs and the mechanism. And we now know when you get leaky gut, you get a leaky brain because the cheesecloth is made of the same material. It's much tighter in the brain, but it's the same material. So when you do blood tests to see if you've got leaky gut, you're looking for antibodies to the material of the cheesecloth. Well, if you have antibodies in your bloodstream to the material of the cheesecloth of the gut, those antibodies also attack the material of the cheesecloth of the brain. So you get leaky brain. Then these big molecules get through into the brain that are not supposed to be there. And we have four different immune systems in our body. We have four. And the most powerful one is the one in the brain called the glial cells. And the glial cells, they're just standing guard inside the blood-brain barrier. They're more or less dormant, they're relaxed, but they're sentries standing guard. If anything gets through the blood-brain barrier, we've heard about these chemical bullets called cytokines fired from high-powered rifles in our immune system, and that's a really good thing. But in the brain, the glial cells don't have a high-powered rifle. They've got a bazooka. And if anything gets through, they just destroy that molecule right away, which is a really good thing. But when you've got a breach of the blood-brain barrier, a leaky brain, and these molecules keep coming in, and the glial cells are fighting their bazookas, firing their bazookas, and you destroy those molecules, now you get a lot of collateral damage because this is occurring all the time. And that collateral damage is called inflammation in the brain. And when that comes, now you have all kinds of problems. And just go on Google and type in depression and inflammation or anxiety and inflammation or autism and inflammation or schizophrenia and inflammation. And what you see is that inflammation is the mechanism that sets off that whole cascade of dysfunction that occurs in the brain. That's fascinating. Um, I think we're going to take a break here because it, it's, a, it's a good segue into the second half. And I really want to talk about uh, leaky brain, leaky gut, if there's a connection. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be back in a minute with Dr. O'Brien.
You are listening to The Health Hub here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Tom O'Brien. We've had a great conversation the first half about uh, autism and various aspects of environmental health. And we ended off with a conversation about the gut and impermeability and leaky gut, as well as the leaky barrier in the brain, the blood-brain barrier. But Dr. O'Brien, is there a connection between the two or how do we go about, what's the mapping to try and pull back on some of this inflammation that you've been speaking about? Oh, that's really a great question. And I love the way you phrase it because that's what people have to do is they need a map. You know, if I'm going from Chicago to Toronto, if I'm going to drive, I need a map. You, you can't just get in a car and turn on the ignition and start driving and think you're going to make it to Toronto. You know, you, you need a map that says, well, first you have to go on I-94 and go to Detroit and then go through downtown Detroit across the bridge into Canada and Windsor and hop on 401 and go to Toronto. You, you need the map. And when you want to understand how do I get better brain function, you need a map. From Chicago to Toronto, from my brain's not working very well right now to I want the brain to work better. How do I do that? Anyone that tells you, take take this pill and your brain's going to be fine, has a short-term vision that there is, and people don't like to hear this, and I apologize, but you, you need to hear it straight. You may not like it, but there is no pill that's going to fix your brain. There is no diet that's going to fix your brain. The diet helps, obviously helps. Many of us have heard of the ketogenic diet. Many of us have heard of paleo diets. Many of us have heard of gluten-free diets. The the way you eat, the most common trigger of inflammation in your body is what's on the end of your fork. So it's a prerequisite. You have to have an anti-inflammatory diet. But that's only one component. You need a map that says you turn right and go down this road for three quarters of a mile, and then you turn left to get onto the freeway, and you take that to Detroit. You need a map, and you have to go from here to there to there. 
And people don't like to hear this. Everyone's been trained. Tell me what pill to take so my brain works better. And it's not going to happen. I, you know, I'm going to use the example of what terrifies all of us. Everyone knows. Everyone's met someone who had a heart attack. And they lived and they changed their diet and they started exercising and they look better than they've looked in years. They're younger. And they say, well, I am younger. Most of us know someone who was diagnosed with cancer and went through the recommended protocols and put it in remission and they're doing great. No one knows anyone diagnosed with a brain disease who's doing great. And it terrifies us. It completely terrifies us. The new statistics are one in three elders will die with Alzheimer's or another dementia in the United States. One in three. Now, Kathy, that's you and me and you, the listener, and it ain't going to be me. You know, but that's the statistic now is one in three, and it terrifies us. We don't know what to do. So if you want better brain function, whether it's depression or autism or anxiety or brain fog or memory, when, when you want better function, you need a map. And the map is going to tell you, I mean, it's overwhelming to get a map of how do I get a better functioning brain because there are so many things you have to do. For example, NASA, of the five types of Alzheimer's, the most common type of Alzheimer's is called inhalation Alzheimer's. It's what you're breathing that goes right up to your brain, causes a tear in the cheesecloth or the blood-brain barrier, causes a response of the glial cells to destroy whatever the molecule is that you're breathing, causing the inflammation that causes the collateral damage, that causes more inflammation. That causes, that's why I talked about benzene when you, when you fill the gas tank in your car because you're killing off brain cells. You need a map of all of the little things. And inhalation Alzheimer's, the number one type of Alzheimer's, it's what we're breathing. So you think that that little bit of black mold along the seams in the shower curtain is no big deal. Oh, yeah, I, can't, I don't smell anything. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's secreting spores that you breathe in. They get right up to your brain. And when they do biopsy of people who have passed with Alzheimer's and they look at all that beta amyloid plaque in the brain, they see it's loaded with antibodies to mold or to bacteria or to wheat. And you see the composition of this plaque that is the hallmark diagnosis for Alzheimer's was an immune system trying to protect you from the environment that got up into the brain. And you see all you go, oh my goodness. So I tell you all that because it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And you need, you have to accept that I want a map here. I need a map. And it's going to talk to me about what I breathe. It's going to talk to me about what I eat. It's going to talk to me about how my gut's working. It's going to talk to me about my detox capabilities. It's a long process. It's six months to a year to really change the lifestyle that's causing the inflammation in the brain. That's how you deal with autism or with depression or schizophrenia. You need the big picture, not focusing on the symptoms, but rather the triggers of the inflammation. Is everybody's map different, I'm assuming? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are some uh, uh, genetic vulnerabilities, but everyone's is unique. And Here's how simple some of this stuff is, you know. You just need all these little pieces of the puzzle. NASA, 
published a paper and they showed that two six inch plants, house plants, in a 10 by 10, 100 square foot room takes out 74% of the toxic chemicals in the air. Two little house plants, the leaves suck up the trichloroethylene and the benzene and the formaldehyde. The leaves suck this stuff up. It carries it down into the roots where the microbiome of the dirt in the soil breaks this stuff down and the plant produces oxygen and puts oxygen back into the air. Two little house plants. So you get a couple little house plants in every room of your house. Well, I don't do well with house plants. I don't have a green thumb. So buy some more. Buy a, a new plants every two months if you need to and learn how to take care of the house plant. <laughs> but it's really simple, you know, but it's all these simple little things that are the manifestation that you really are understanding. There's a map here, and I have no idea how to get to Toronto, but I trust the map. And I'm just going to go to the next town and then go to the next one and go. When, when you read my book, because you know, my book is called You Can Fix Your Brain, and there's so many tips in there. And you go back to the book, and you, you look for the URLs, and there's three URLs in there for glass storage containers for the kitchen. And you, MilesKimball.com, Amazon, and whatever the third one is. And you go to the URLs, and you say, oh, look, are those? Oh, I like these over here. And you order three round ones and two square ones and one for the pies and you pay with your credit card. You hit send. You're done. Never again will you poison your family with minute amounts of phthalates in the leftover food. Give the Tupperware containers to your husband to store the nails in the garage. You know, they're really good for that. But, and, and you just have to keep doing these little things, these little things, these little things. That's why the subtitle of the book is just one hour a week to the best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. It's not a cutesy little subtitle. It's the secret to success is just give a little bit of time every week to do one thing on the huge overwhelming checklist. You just do one thing, but then it's done. Next week, you look for phthalate-free nail polish because when you see the studies that phthalates from the nail polish are in your bloodstream in three to five minutes, He's, what? What? But the amount of phthalates that leach into your bloodstream from nail polish is not toxic to humans. There's no study that's ever said it's toxic, and that's how they get away with this. But this stuff accumulates. So here's the URLs for phthalate-free organic polish. And you, you order some, and you try it, and order some others if you don't like it, you know. But you're on the map. You know, you're reading the map. You're on your way to Toronto. That's the only way to successfully deal with brain dysfunction of any type. Anything else you do, thinking, well, I'm going to do this pill because it's going to help. It's like a dog chasing its tail. You feel better for a little while. You know, you get a little better function because you just drank five cups of caffeine. Uh, and I'm exaggerating, but <laughs> you're taking some nutrition that helps certain areas work a little bit better in the short term, but you keep throwing gasoline on the fire. And so it's a dog chasing its tail. One out of three gets Alzheimer's. Let that sink in. And the only way to stop that is because the environment we live in is so bad is baby steps. Every week, one hour a week to do another baby step and another baby step and another baby step. Have you seen big movement or significant movement in the more serious brain issues 
like Alzheimer's, like um, autism? Or is this, you have? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, There's a company called Mios, M-I-O-S, Mios Health. And their focus is on mild cognitive impairment, meaning early Alzheimer's. Tremendous success. But, you know, they've got the map and they, they have people wear rings that are monitoring your sleep patterns and your pulse and how much you're exercising. And these coaches are talking to them two or three times a week for six months and teaching them how to read the map for their lifestyle. Or an article I sent out yesterday on gluten psychosis, a 14-year-old girl who became schizophrenic and she was hallucinating seeing people jump out of TVs and coming to scare her. And this was a normal uh, swimmer on the, on the school swim team, a uh, healthy young girl, and she got a throat infection and antibiotics. And two weeks after that, she started deteriorating to where she was hospitalized for seven or eight months in a schizophrenic unit of a hospital. And no one could figure out what was wrong with her. And then a nutritionist said, well, listen, you've lost 15% of your body weight and you know, your bowels are you're, you're bloated, your stomach's bloated. Let's just try a gluten-free diet. They had checked her for celiac and it was negative, but they said, let's just try it. Within a week, she came back to normal. Within a week, mm-hmm. after months being hospitalized as a psychiatric patient, her future was destined to be completely dysfunctional institutionalized but when they and one time she got exposed to wheat a number of months later and the doctor wrote she regressed within a few hours and and then the doctor wrote this up and said this is unbelievable and so just google gluten psychosis and the article pops right up on google and you you can read it but you see dramatic results sometimes quickly with depression with anxiety with autism Sometimes you see dramatic results, but I don't want to give you false uh, impressions here. Most of the time with autism, it's a long journey. You know, it takes, it takes a, a many, many, many hours, a day or two to drive from Chicago to Toronto. Well, in this journey, if your child's autistic, it's going to take you months and months, but you should see improvements in a relatively short period of time within three to six weeks, you should notice some things are better once you address the amount of inflammation going on in that child's brain. Is this a matter of detoxifying the brain? Is that what, you know, broad sweeps um, we're doing when we address these issues? Really good question. That's a critical component is the body's ability to break down these chemicals we're exposed to, but it's not just lack of adequate detoxification, but it's a critical component. You can't keep throwing gasoline on the fire while you're enhancing detox and expect everything's going to improve. So you have to identify where is the inflammation coming from? Is it a food sensitivity? Just Google casein, C-A-S-E-I-N, casein, which is a protein in milk, casein and sudden infant death syndrome. You go, what? So it can be a food. And if you keep eating the food that's causing the inflammation in that particular body, but then you're enhancing detox, you have one garden hose pouring water on a fire to put it out, and you have another garden hose pouring gasoline on the fire at the same time. So it's a multi-pronged way we've got to go at it. It's not just one 
Exactly. There are many turns on the highway when you follow the map to get from Chicago to Toronto. There are many things that need to be done. Clean the inside air. Make sure there's no mold in the house. Look for inflammatory foods. Look at detox pathway capabilities. Make sure the person's hydrated well enough because you can't detox if you're not hydrated. Everyone needs half ounce of water per pound body weight. That's minimum for everyone and very few get that. So detox is critically important, but it's a component. It's not the big kahuna that's going to fix everything. It's a fascinating subject, and like I said, we've talked a lot about it, Um, and this connection between the permeability of the brain and and environmental toxins seems to be such a a big, big piece. I know we talked, you know, we've talked about it all, but do we underestimate the environmental piece of all of this? Would you say that that is maybe the primary area that we need to start looking at? Thank you for the question. Nothing will give you as much bang for your buck as dealing with the, your environment. Okay. Every, every healthcare practitioner knows, we've all been trained, that genetics don't ter- determine what disease you get. In general, there's some exceptions, but over 70% of all diseases, you, you carry the gene, it doesn't mean you're getting the disease. It means you're vulnerable to that disease. So we have to learn about epigenetics, what's going on around the cell. And that is completely determined by your environment. Your environment includes your food. The most common trigger, the most common gasoline on the fire is what's on the end of your fork. But there's more than that. But that is the most common trigger. So we have to do the right testing. We have to determine Where is the gasoline coming from that's causing the inflammation in my 14-year-old daughter who suddenly has become so depressed in life? Where is this coming from? And you have to look for the sources of inflammation. Where is it coming from? Environment is the most important thing that you can look at when you're dealing with a brain that's not functioning properly. Most important. Yeah, I just think that that's such an area that's undervalued. Uh, I don't even know if people would know where to go to talk to a clinician, um, a practitioner about it, or the testing involved. And I I think it's such a key point that we need to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Because, yes, we can make the home and the plastics, um, you know, eliminate the plastics, but there are just certain so many things that we have no control over when it comes to our environment and learning how to handle it, I think is a really, really central um, factor when it comes to brain health. And I just hope that people like you can get the word out and, and have people focus on this. Critically important point, critically important. And you, everyone has to take control over their environment. You've got complete control over the indoor air mm-hmm. in your home. Complete control. You just have to learn what to do and what are the things that cause more pollution in the indoor air. For example, no one should turn on a dishwasher until everybody's going to sleep at night because those toxic chemicals in the dishwashing detergent that you use with the heat of the hot water in the dishwasher, those gases leach out into the air and you breathe these toxic gases. So no, just turn the dishwasher on as you're going to bed. 
not during the day. It just you, you learn the simple little things that by themselves are not going to make a dramatic difference, but accumulatively, they make a huge difference. That's why it's one hour a week to the best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. It's, mm-hmm. it, you're you're, you're going to be overwhelmed. Oh, my God, I'm going to Toronto from Chicago. Where is Toronto from Chicago? You, you're you're going to be overwhelmed, and you need the map. When you read, there are many good books out there, but I'll just, you know, I talk about mine. When you read You Can Fix Your Brain, that's the entire message of the book. And we have a brain master class that you can do, 87 videos that I've done on how do you clean the toxicity in your bathroom. And we do videos on all this to educate you that you'll find the sources for the information that you need once you realize you need a map. So that's the key takeaway I hope that people will get today is that I need a map. I don't quite understand where I'm going to find the map, but I need a map. All right, I'll look at some of this stuff. One of the good places you can go is ewg.org. It's the Environmental Working Group. Org. And they've been around for, I don't know, 30 years, 40 years, more. And you just go to their front page on their website and you see they're just constantly looking for toxins in the environment that we're being exposed to. When you read their article on the amount of toxins in farmed salmon versus wild salmon, you'll never eat farmed salmon again <laughs> because you now understand what you and your family are being exposed to. You think eating salmon's healthy for you. It is, but not artificial salmon. That's not healthy for you. That gives you more toxic chemicals that accumulate in your body. So ewg.org is a great place to go to start, and my book. And yeah, and, and your book, and you have other, um, your website is full of information if you can give people your website. But I think before we get to that, I think the, the key here for what you're doing is equipping people with the ability to ask the right questions. And I think with that, then you, that's the first step in going down this road to trying to figure things out. If, you're, if you can ask the right questions then you can find the answers. And I think that's a very important piece. So where can people find out uh, about all these freebies that you have and, and, and all the information that uh, you have to offer everybody? Oh, thank you. And you're, you're absolutely right. Learning to ask the right questions and not be embarrassed that you're asking the questions because mm-hmm. this is your baby's health that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. This is your exactly. daughter's health. This is your family's health. So the only foolish question is the one that's not asked, you know, and anyone that makes you feel bad because you're asking questions, get away from that person. I you know, agree. You, you, you just keep asking the questions. That's, you want to be healthy. You, you want your family to be healthy. You got to ask the right questions. A hundred percent. The website is the doctor.com, the dr.com. Don't spell the word doctor out. The dr.com forward slash kickstart. And that's a handout that we put together for you. It's a bunch of handouts, actually, about your kitchen, about your bathroom, about the laundry room, about the living room, and what's a, what's a healthy furniture polish to use, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's all there for you at the dr.com forward slash kickstart. And also my books are there, the dr.com forward slash books. And then we have a brain master class, the dr.com forward slash brain master class. So it's all there for you. Uh, so that you can get information and start asking questions and start learning how to read the map. 
you know, it's going to take you a while, but you're, once you're on the journey, and I'll finish with this example, because this puts it all in perspective. 1986, a medical doctor, microbiologist out of Australia, writes a paper, and he says, you know, I think that sometimes ulcers are caused by a bacterial infection. And all of his friends, the other gastroenterologists, said, what are you, a nutcase? Everybody knows ulcers are caused by too much acid in the stomach, and you have to take antacids, because that's how everybody was trained. So what did he do? He did an endoscopy. He put a tube down his throat into his stomach, took a picture. He had a camera on it, a little camera. Took a picture of the healthy pink tissue of his stomach. Then he drank a beaker. A beaker! of this bacteria called Heliobacter pylori. Then he waited a few days until he was as sick as could be, did another endoscopy with the camera and took pictures of his ulcerated stomach, all the little ulcers that were forming. Then he took the antibiotics to kill that bad bacteria, waited a few days or a week, and then he did another endoscopy, took pictures of his healing stomach and the healthy pink tissue of his stomach. Then he published the paper. Then everybody knew he was a nutcase, <laughs> right? But he, he showed that sometimes bacteria will cause ulcers. And the World Health Organization thought this was such an important paper. They sent it out to every medical society on the planet and said, send this to all your members. Why? Because at the time, the number one cancer in the world was stomach cancer caused by a Heliobacter pylori most of the time. So if doctors look for Heliobacter when they had upset stomach and heartburn and they found it, they could prevent the development of stomach cancers. Well, everyone thought that this guy was a nutcase, but Dr. Barry Marshall didn't care. He knew that he was right and was proud of what he had done. 21 years later, he wins the Nobel Prize in Physiology. And the Nobel Committee said, and this is the exact quote, who with tenacity and a prepared mind challenged prevailing dogma. Now that's what each one of you needs to do, is have tenacity one hour a week, every week, one hour a week. And you have to prepare your mind by listening to this podcast again and other podcasts that Kathy has done and read the books. You're preparing your mind. Why? To challenge the prevailing dogma. You have to learn how to get from Chicago to Toronto. Then you will win your own Nobel Prize in health. Perfect way to end it. Perfect. I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. O'Brien. It was a great conversation. Thank you, Kathy. A real pleasure to be with you, and Godspeed to everyone on their health journey. Thank you, and everyone will talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.